what you see on screen is just 0.1% of what happens throughout yeah. the show. So everything that goes into preparing for a season, a thousand people that you have to talk to and coordinate with. In the case of right. the final pitch, just to put season together probably takes a half year. And the filming itself takes a couple of days. So when you watch a pitch on the show that's maybe six, seven minutes, that actually takes an hour sometimes. Yeah. And what happens after the show, when the actual deals are forged, that's also the bulk of the kind of work that we have to still do. Apart from just linking the entrepreneurs and the investors. So it's really a process that takes quite a bit of time, care, and attention. So it's not just putting a camera in their faces and recording, documenting the thing because we're a part of the journey of both the investors and the entrepreneurs on the show. Welcome to Brave. Learn from Southeast Asia's best tech leaders. Build the future, learn from our past, and stay human in between. No BS on success. I'm Jeremy Au, venture capitalist, serial founder, Harvard MBA, science fiction nerd, and dad of two daughters. Every week, we debate startup news, interview changemakers, answer listener questions, and share personal insights. Join our movement of over 20,000 members and get transcripts, resources, and community at www.braveseaa.com. Did you know that over 70% of B2B trades are conducted on credit terms? However, many suppliers struggle to support this, leading to lost business opportunities. Fluid offers instant B2B financing with one tap, seamlessly integrating with marketplaces and supplier platforms. This payment flexibility empowers buyers to secure their purchases on credit terms or installments. This results in increased basket sizes and influx of new buyers for suppliers. Fluid provides a great user experience and the ability to facilitate high-velocity trade. This differentiates Fluid from traditional digital lenders and invoice financing companies. Want to learn more? Get in touch with Tracy, Fluid's co-founder at T-R-A-S-Y at G-O-F-L-U-I-D dot I-O to learn more. Hey, John, really excited to have you on the show. We had such an amazing dinner two months ago in Manila. And I just said, hey, this is such a fun chat. We got to have you back and just share your story with more folks. Could you introduce yourself real quick? Thanks, Jeremy, for having me here. Yes, that was a great dinner. Very brief, but we had you over here in Manila and glad to have you guys yeah. come over. Yeah. So tell us about yourself. All right. So yeah, a lot of people refer to me as a serial entrepreneur. So I've done this, done that. My businesses are mostly tied to the TV shows that I produce. So for 20 seasons now, we've been producing Philippine Realty TV. It's the country's first real estate TV show where we build concept homes. But the startup ecosystem knows us more for the final pitch, which is our version of Shark Tank, The Apprentice, and the voice combined in one program. So yeah. we've had that for nine seasons here in the Philippines already. And it's something that we're hoping to scale across uh, the Southeast Asian region as well. Yeah, amazing. And I think you are also now an author as well of Methods of Greatness. So really interesting to see that you said that what well, you recently launched this at a mall with over 200 folks coming for a launch. Sounds like an amazing launch that you had. Right. Methods to Greatness is my second book under Penguin Random House Southeast Asia. So the first one came out last year and we'd launched it initially in uh, Singapore. Apparently became a bestseller there in Kinokunia. And it talks about um, the art and science of the pitch. So apart from my experiences as the host and founder of the final pitch, uh, I also interviewed a lot of, I, I, I would say, experts, thought leaders from around the world, from Silicon Valley, from 
from across Europe, Asia, and really distilling into this book what you need to pitch your ideas, whether it's just something that you've just recently developed or whether you're fundraising for your million dollar startup or your next round of funding. So did well in Singapore, <laughs> also became a bestseller here in yeah. the Philippines. And uh, yeah, yeah, that was the first book. And the second book we just launched here in the Philippines two days ago. And that's Methods to Greatness, which is an entirely different thing altogether. I interviewed Asians from mm -hmm. around the world and it's a journey of the mind, body and soul. So I heard that uh, you have recently had a great launch for your book with what, a couple hundred folks at a mall. It sounds amazing. Were you just <laughs> like what, signing out books, just throwing them out to the audience? I'm thinking of like an Oprah <laughs> a scenario. Like Nothing like one, that. Nothing one. like that. <laughs> your, your imagination's too wild. Uh, nothing close to that. It was a little <laughs> bit more tame than that. But uh, yeah, we did have a yeah. good number of people come yeah. out to, to support the book. So yeah, yeah. That, that was great. So how did you get into this space at all? So you mentioned you started out first, kind of like in production and stuff. But how did you first get into it? Yeah, so back in the early days, in my early 20s, my vision really was to be able to produce our own TV shows. So, but I wanted to produce shows that was not just for entertainment's sake. I wanted for shows to be produced where I watch the show, but I really learn not just something, I really learn how to be able to either build my business or in the case of our show, The Final Pitch, I learned how not just to pitch, but even the mistakes possibly or the good things that I can learn from the startups on the show. Um, I kind of want people to have a takeaway from that. So it's not right. just Shark Tank where you're pitching. There's right. really a journey where people go into this journey and they learn from the mentors and they learn from the um, investors also because the investors are also part of the show. So we have episodes where we actually bring the entrepreneurs to the HQ of the investors and they do this tour. Sometimes we have challenges like what they do in The Apprentice. So it's really very experiential for uh, entrepreneurs who join the show and the entrepreneurs who watch it back right. home. So what are some myths or misconceptions about hosting and producing these shows? I, I guess my myth and misconception is that it's a very glitzy life, right? Is that everything's super easy to show up a camera. That's my myth, my imagination of how <laughs> a celebrity kind of floats through the TV screen. Tell us more. Yeah. You know, Jeremy, what you see on screen is just like maybe 0.1% of what happens, right? Yeah. Uh, throughout yeah. the show. So everything that goes into preparing for a season, a thousand people that you have to talk to and coordinate with. But I've, I'm lucky because I have a really great, great team. So the production side, I don't really have to worry about too much. But it's really, it's really a lot of work to come up with a season of a reality show. So in the case of right. the final pitch, just to put season together probably takes a half year. Right. And the filming itself takes a couple of days. So when you watch a pitch on the show that's maybe six, seven minutes, that actually takes an hour sometimes, 25 minutes to an hour. Yeah. And also what happens after the show when the actual deals are forged. So that's also the bulk of the kind of work that we have to still do, apart from just linking the entrepreneurs and the investors. So it's really a process that takes quite a bit of time and also care and attention. So it's not just putting a camera in their faces and re recording, documenting the thing because we're actually a part of the journey of both the investors and the entrepreneurs on the show. And it doesn't stop when the cameras stop rolling. It's an ongoing process. To this day, some of the season one entrepreneurs that we've had on the show, we still help them. We still work with them. And it's an ongoing process because at the end of the day, we want to be an, an enabler for all of these ecosystem players in the Philippines. So uh, show us the very public front facing aspect of what we do. But behind the scenes, it's a whole team trying to see how we can add support the startups who come on the show, relying on it oftentimes, not just for the funding, but also the possibility that later on we will be able to help 
help them reach out to more investors or possibly get more exposure either through the show or outside of it. Amazing. So as you think about that, what are the kind of things that people don't see, like you said, what are the things that people don't really appreciate? What's the hardest part of putting together? Is it like the crafting of the idea for the show? Is it sourcing for people? What do you think is the hardest part? Personally, for me, it's getting all of the judges together. That's the unique thing with our business model. Because in Shark Tank, the producers actually pay the sharks a talent fee and the sharks use their own money to invest. In the case of the final pitch, it's a little bit different because we have a business model that's quite unique. The business model actually won for us a business award last year as one of the innovative business models in media in the Philippines. Because what happens is the judges, in a way, are the co-producers of the show. We actually charge a seat fee to them. And this seat fee is what we use to be able to produce the show and everything that goes into producing, promoting each season of the final pitch. So in a way, we call ourselves a S company, but instead of software, we're a show as a service, right? The show is the platform of the judges, both to find these partners, these entrepreneurs, and also to promote their respective companies, their advocacies, even their personal brands. So it's really a show as a service. We we don't waste our time looking for sponsors because the judges and the other partners and mentors are the co-producers of the show. That's how we're able to do this very effectively and sustainably year in and year out. Wow, I had no idea. Now I know. And I think it's really interesting because you also use this, right? You've also progressed and you've done both, like you said, in real estate, but also in technology as well. So I'm so curious, what's your love? Are you still like doing real estate on the side or what? Like, how does that play out from your perspective? From that perspective, it's been pretty interesting because once we mount a show and it's successful, our team takes over. So I'm really all about trying to figure out, okay, what's the next thing that we can get into in terms of a very exciting industry or business that we can do? Because our businesses actually start from the show. So with our real estate show, we wanted to make sure that we were able to capture the market. And from there, we started building houses. So a business model was born from the show. So that allowed us to be able to get into real estate development. For the final pitch, it's all about getting all of these people together, these stakeholders, the investors, startups. And from there, because we actually also participate in making sure that these startups not just get the funding, but also are able to get additional support later on. So we actually have a stake in some of these startups. So some of them we in some ways invest in as well. But this platform now allows us to reach more people and in so doing allows us to in the future possibly have a bigger play. So we're actually expanding the final pitch uh, across Asia in the future. And what we hope apart from the front facing show is that we're able to aggregate the investors, the startups across the region and get them funded beyond the show because the front facing is the show, but back end is really us making sure that we're able to get additional funding, perhaps from judges, investors outside of the final pitch. So that's the long-term play for us. Amazing. And so what's been interesting is that you're also taking this time to also put together your writing, right? So you've written two books. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you went about thinking about building these books? Was it an idea first? How is it that you concept idea. So Penguin Random House is the biggest publishing company in the world. So they reached out to me during the pandemic and they had asked me, John, we know about your show, The Final Pitch. Do you have ideas for books that you'd like to pitch to us? And I was like, yeah, sure. But I didn't, right? At the time, I was like, okay, I I will. I submit something. So I received the LinkedIn message about uh, 7 p.m. And I typed up four concepts and a week later, they said, we think the concepts are great and we'd like to offer to publish three of those titles. So yeah, three. (laughs) They they signed me up for a three book deal and be careful what you wish for because 
because it's tough. It's just coming up with one, but in this case, three. So the first title is The Art and Science of the Pitch, which came out last year in Singapore, did well there and did well here in the Philippines as well. So that's out right now. And, and Methods to Greatness, which is based on a podcast that I started during the pandemic. Also, right. that's what we launched a couple of days ago. And that now will allow us to get into a completely new, I would say, industry because Methods to Greatness is all about finding balance and finding your greatness in your mind, body, and soul. A big play that we want to do in the future is to explore peak performance and longevity. We've partnered with a healthcare provider here in the Philippines. So we're going on this journey similar to what Chris Hemsworth did with his series Limitless on National Geographic, we're kind of doing the same thing here in the Philippines and across Asia. And I'm currently now in talks with some governments to possibly explore longevity and life sciences in countries like Switzerland, Japan, Israel, Austria. So all about me being a guinea pig at the right. onset, trying to find the best ways to optimize my peak performance and trying to live over 100 and documenting all of this yeah. into my third book, Jeremy, right. which is the working title is, yeah, The Art and Science of Peak Performance. So Ooh. I'm going to try to see how I can basically enhance, optimize my body because by November of this year, Jeremy, I'm actually competing to represent the Philippines and the Asian Masters Athletics Championships. Wow. I'm going to be doing that for the sprints for the 100 meter dash and the relay. So right now I'm deep in training, optimizing my body <laughs> in time for that. And hopefully we get to bring home the gold for the Philippines. I would be so excited. I'm looking forward to watch that. <laughs> I got to ask, so McDonald's is no longer on the menu for you? I can't treat myself every once in a while to French fries, which I love. But it's so hot. It's, it takes a lot of work, man. It takes a lot yeah. of work. So what's it been like? You said it's a lot of work. Yeah, it, luckily this lifestyle that I have, I've always been healthy, tried to eat healthy. Yeah. So I, I exercise almost every day. Yeah. So it wasn't like a big change or shift. It's more deliberate now in terms of my training. Before, I would do maybe two, three times a week of strength and conditioning, but now right. it's a little bit more deliberate. I actually right. have a strength coach, a strength and yeah. conditioning coach who's based in Europe. So we're doing this via Zoom. I have a sprints coach who's based in the US. We're also doing it via Zoom. A doctor that I just saw yesterday because I strained my hamstrings. So yeah. every time that I have these aches and pains, I go to the doctor and my nutrition is a lot more deliberate now. And as I go to these different countries in the next couple of months, I'm going to try to see how I can optimize based on the things that I learn and try to see how I can do those little tweaks that eventually will bring my time down to the time right. that I need for it to be competitive. So yeah, it's a lot of work, but also very exciting work that I'm doing now because although it's for the book and the series, it's also for my own health and well-being. So it all works out in the end. I'm an entrepreneur, I'm an athlete, but I'm also someone who is trying to optimize my best life so that I can live a healthy life for my wife and my kids. And, yeah. and our employees. So it helps me in the long term. So I'm so curious about all of this. Like you said, mentioning like what's really important for you is the wife, the kids, employees. So why do they matter to you? Did you change before when you were like a bachelor to becoming a husband, to becoming a father? Do you feel life has changed for you? Like how you think about life, philosophy? Have you matured as a person? I think definitely marriage and kids changes you a lot. It changes you yeah. fundamentally as a person. I think if before you would do things for a reason, I think 
the way you look at life and the things that you do now, this is a very temporal world that we live in. All of a sudden it hits you. It gives you a certain sense of urgency that you need to accomplish certain things at this point in time, just because your vision for the future is not just tied to you. It's tied to your family, where you'd like to be, let's say in 10 years, where you'd like for the business to be even in five years, 10 years, 15 years, things are a lot more deliberate and also time bound because you have targets that you set for yourself that you want to accomplish because there are so many more people dependent on you. And in this case, because we're in media, the things that I do now affect not just me and media community, but also people who watch what we do, get inspired by what we do. So all of a sudden, it takes on a bigger scope because our mission really is to see how we can affect more people through the work that we do, whether it's our shows, the books, and to affect positive change in people. I'm also a lot more careful now with the things that I undertake and do just because it's public facing. I still live life like I did, but now it's a lot more deliberate. I'm more careful now, not just with what I eat, but with what I say, because what I say and do impacts uh, a lot more people. Do you miss being the time when you didn't have to be careful about what you eat and what you say? Maybe just a little bit, but not really, because I've matured, man. I mean, the age does that to you and there are things that you used to do when you're younger, you've been there, done that. So I think I'm at a point where it's time to work on the other things and I'm very comfortable with where I am right now. What are the other things in life for you? Do you define it as like the book, the the shows? What what are other things in life for you? Well, I think the most important really is family. I'm 45 years old. I do all of these things outside of the family. But at the end of the day, if I didn't have to work or do the business or do all these this media, I just like staying home, to be honest. Yeah. Traveling's a big part, but staying home. Yeah. And just being with the family, that's life, man. That's yeah. that's the best part of life. And having meals with the family, that's really what it's all about at the end of the day. And if you look at my pictures, what I take with my phone, yeah. a lot of the pictures that I take, it's a lot of business. But the ones that I really keep and don't erase are the ones of the kids, right? Because that's really what it's all about. I think the things that I will do also later in life will get affected by my stage in life. A lot of the things that I I used to do also before the shows were dependent on what life stage I was at. So real estate, I was trying to build a business, trying to build our house. Now that we have it, we're moving on to other things. And now as I age more, so it's on this longevity aspect. So it reflects my current life stage, which is really interesting because whatever it is that I'm passionate about at that moment in time reflects on the work that we do and the things that we pursue. So which is very genuine and I feel because I'm vulnerable at that particular moment in time to trying to find out what it is that that I still need as a person, as a human being. I think it Mm -hmm. makes it a lot more genuine as something that I pursue and I think reflects on the work that we do and the things that we're able to share with the audience. So I think that's one of the most powerful things about what we do because it really comes from a place of wanting to improve and seek greatness in that particular aspect of your life. Yeah. I think longevity is interesting. Nobody wants to die. (laughs) <laughs> myself included. It was interesting because I was like, I took some time out. And so my wife and I were traveling in Italy and I was reading this book on longevity. There's so many books of them and they're all really good. But it was just interesting. I was reading this one particular book on longevity and I went to Pompeii and there's all these unfortunate folks who have passed away like a thousand years ago. And then there's this kind of like mummified remains. It's such a contrast. It's like I'm reading on my Kindle about how to live longer. And I'm looking at these people who are like, unfortunately deceased for a thousand years. And then right. it got me thinking, which is like, yeah, and I was thinking myself in a weird way. It's like, you know, maybe hopefully 
I'll get to live a little longer if I'm following these prescriptive things. But me and my kids will live, get to live a longer life than mine, hopefully. Then my grandkids, I mean, the book was talking about how like everybody will get to live for eventually. So that's kind of like really interesting. I was like, oh, if this book is right, my grandkids will me potentially get to live for a long time or even up to of course, forever yes. because of biomedical science. And I'm definitely going to pass away because all this medical science, unfortunately, <laughs> not going to kick in before I'm gone. And then I look at this person who's gone and he's like, I'm going to be that person. I'm going to be temporal. I'm going to go away in 80 years if I'm lucky. It was a contrast between somebody who's passed away a thousand years ago, myself, who's probably not going to live long enough to see all the benefits of all this longevity stuff. And then one day my grandkids could potentially get to live forever. I don't know. It's like watching a lifeboat go out from your boat, right? That's very interesting because back in 2019, I attended Singularity University in Silicon right. Valley. So Dr. Peter Diamandis and his partners at the forefront of longevity. There's this thing called longevity escape velocity, where it's the idea, the concept that for every year that you're alive, it is extending lifespan by another year. So they're saying that our lifetime, our generation is actually the generation where potentially living up to 130 will be normal just because everything is caught up with us. And I beg to disagree with what you say, because as far as current data is concerned, at least for those who can maybe afford or can have access to it, we can live maybe not forever right now, but to a ripe old age of 120, 130, actually, that's what the bulk of my exploration is going to be for the third yeah. book. It's all about not just peak performance, but trying to see how as someone living in this generation, I can live over a hundred and have it something that is normal for people like us. In fact, in the next couple of years, we may see obvious signs of this happening, not just in the medical community, but with the masses, with the emergence of all of these technologies that will permeate our society in the next few years. So I'm very excited to explore that because I've only gotten to the tip of the iceberg. So this next book is going to be an exploration of that and more. So so that's what I'm hoping to uncover as I do research down the road. So to the listeners of this podcast, I'm very open to seeing how I can possibly work with different organizations and countries that are at the forefront of this. I have gotten feedback from Germany is at the cutting edge of sports science, medicine. The human genome is something that I'm very, very interested to explore as well. So yeah, lots of things to uncover and unpack. Amazing. Could you share about a time that you personally have been brave? I think the bravest was when I was just starting out this whole TV production business. So I had started my first TV show called Dance Idol from a tip from one of my interns who was a cheerleader who told me, John, you have no idea how big cheerleading is and dance is in the Philippines right now. I think you should put up a show right. and just make it the first reality dance show in the country, which I did just yeah. from a tip. I think I was brave because with very little research, I stumbled into this new world of dance, eventually got to produce what at the time was the biggest dance show in the Philippines, which we made into a TV special and then a TV show. Didn't really make money and failed miserably in terms of bringing in the revenue, but it allowed for me to just get things going. It was mm -hmm. our first show. And from there, I would say that really was the lowest point because I owed so many people, so many things. Bit off more than I can shoot, definitely. But it was the start of the business. It was really the start of, okay, putting everything together and me learning the ins and outs of the TV production business. So that was the first time that I ever sold a show. First time. I ever put together a show that had thousands of people in a stadium. It was brave because I was a kid not knowing so much, but just really diving head on into an industry that eventually I would be right now deeply in. And I have no regrets. And I think it, sometimes it just takes a little bit of stupidity and bravery to just get into something. And you'll never know because right. that was my start. Not the best of starts, but that failure was something that I will take with me till the day I die, knowing yeah. what I know now. That sometimes you just got to really jump in. So I think that was probably one of the
the bravest things that I've ever done. What's interesting is that you chose to do it and then you failed to hit your expectations. So how did you pick yourself up from there? Because you could have said, you know what, this is not for me. Let me do something else in my life. But instead you said, I want to do it again a second time. So how did you come to that decision? First of all, I think you have to wallow in your grief, <laughs> which is what I did. <laughs> yeah. At that time, I was very young. I cried my heart out to my parents said, I'm not sure if this is the thing for me. But you learn to accept the failure and you have no choice but to pick yourself up because at that point, you owe people money, right? right. And you owe people promises that you right. have to keep. So I was right. able to pay back all the debts and make sure that we were able to serve all of the things that we needed, that we promised. It took a while, but my main goal, everything that we promised to everyone, we have to make sure that we're able to do it, which we did, even if it took a while. But that was a big lesson for me and making sure that whatever it is that you do, whether you fail or not, you just have to make sure that you're able to live up to your promises because that really is the key. I know that I'm in this for the long haul and your name, your reputation is on the line with everything that you do. So that is the most important thing is that if yeah. you say something, you have to make sure that you keep your word. That's been the guiding principle for us ever since. And I'm glad to say that right now, that's how we do it. We make sure that whatever it is that we promise, our clients, our partners, the public, we get to live up to our side of the bargain. That's how I think everyone should operate because I think some startups or companies, they seek funding, they raise money. And sometimes it's just too bad. We didn't do it or we didn't make it. And that's it. But I don't think that's a good way to operate. Fundamentally, you have to have a realistic plan that, okay, this thing should generate money. It should generate revenue. But if not, then what is the next best thing that we can do? Because I think if from the onset, you create something that is going to be of value, I think you have to have those fundamental things in place right. and not just making a billion dollar valuation mm. company because right. I think that's really the wrong way or the wrong approach. So I think those things have to be in place for you to have a sustainable business. Makes a lot of sense. On that note, thank you so much, John, for coming on the show and sharing. I'd love to share the big three takeaways I got. First of all, thank you so much for sharing about what's it actually like to be a star. I'm not a star, man. <laughs> a, I'm star not a star who also has to produce, script, coordinate, schedule, and everything goes on to the 0.1% of the screen time versus what actually goes into the reality. I thought that was a very nice description about what actually goes into the work that's there. The second is thank you so much for sharing about your passion for longevity and greatness. I thought that was an interesting dynamic where I think you mentioned about how it's not just a function of what you're interested in, but also a reflection of your life stages. And so about whether you're a young person looking to make your mark to having a family and now maturing and thinking through the next phase of your life. I thought it was an interesting reflection. It's reflecting your personal interests and then you're able to pull that together. I see that very nice synergistic flow and I think it makes a lot of sense. And it sounds like a wonderful way to have that sense of craftsmanship through the process. Lastly, thank you so much for sharing about that tough moment you have in terms of failure. I think you shared a little bit about how you think about success, how you think about failure, how you think about greatness. And I think it was very kind of you to share about when you failed and were had to cry, but also chose to pick yourself up and do the next stage. So thank you so much for sharing your journey. Thank you so much, Jeremy, for having me here. It's been a pleasure to share this with you. And I wish you luck. I mean, you're doing a great job here with your podcast. And also, it's great to finally meet you back a couple of months ago. And I'm looking forward to possibly doing more partnerships work with you guys in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Brave. If you enjoyed this episode, please share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. We would also appreciate you leaving a rating or review. Head over to www.bravesea.com for member content, resources, and community. Stay well and stay brave. Stay brave.